They don't sound, okay, there we go. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome, and online as well. Good to see you here, and um, I know the Holy Spirit's at work. Everybody, if you've not met our grandson, this is Maddox. Uh, his mom and dad are down in Disneyland this weekend. They got, maybe they got to see the dragon go up in flames down there. I don't know if you saw that on the news. Um, but anyway, yeah, check that out. The whole thing went up in smoke um, on one of their uh, uh, stage plays. So anyway, um, Maddox will be a little bit of a challenge for us this morning. He's not used to a, a large crowd of people. He doesn't normally go to church. So we have an opportunity to bless him and enjoy his company as well as others as they come in. So just be aware that he's a little on the shy side, but we'll get through this. It'll be good. Hopefully he'll let Papa hang on to him a little bit here, and maybe not. Okay. <laughs> We're going to find out real soon. All right. Okay, yeah. All right, well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for family and friends. We thank you, Father, for the gift of life we have in Jesus. We thank you, Father, for our family and our friends and for the gift that we have in salvation and the unity that we have in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for little Maddox this morning. We pray that he does well here. It's a strange experience for him. And I ask, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit just bless him and encourage him and fill him with your love and joy. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, too, that we are here to give you, Lord, praise and glory, to honor your name, to soak up your love, and to rejoice in you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's see if we can actually, yeah, let's take a moment and say hi to each other this morning. We're going to just do what we got to do. Let's say hello. Okay. Hey, more people came in while we did our little greeting. That's good. Greet everybody as they come in, and let's all stand and, and let's sing, sing our heart outs to the Lord. Let's give him everything we got this morning. Here we go. One, two. Nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest faith, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. 
it's so good to be in your house. It's also good to know, Father, that the battles that we want to take on our own and uh, maybe even feel that we're, we're lost in, Lord, you've already fought them, and you already know what the outcome is, and we can trust you with our tomorrows. We can trust you within this hour. Father, you're so trustworthy because we've, we've seen it in our lives. We've read it in your good book, Lord, that you are so faithful, and what you say is true. And uh, we just are so grateful, Father, that we have that bedrock, that cornerstone to build our lives on. Thank you, Lord. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. To this I hold, my Savior will defend me through the Till I stand with joy before the throne. 
you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, it is through Christ that we worship you, we serve you, we get up in the morning, Lord God, and we face the day. We also remember, Lord God, days gone by, and we are so grateful in reflection how faithful you are, how present you are with all of us through Christ, that your Holy Spirit lives within us, that you declare us righteous, that we can come before your throne, Lord God, with our needs, with our concerns, with our burdens, and we can lay them all down. And Lord, we know that we can cast our cares on you because you care for us. Your love is never-ending. Your security, that you, the security that you, Lord, provide us in Christ is solid. It's a rock. And so, God, we come and give you thanks this morning for who you are, what you've done, what you are doing, and what you will do, that we have eternal life through faith in Jesus. We have a new heaven and a new earth to look forward to. We have reunions coming for all of our brothers and sisters in Jesus. That is your tremendous work, and we're here to thank you, Lord, and to give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We don't really have any announcements. You can go ahead. Step one, you, you can go down if you want to and um, help them out. There, there's a good amount of help in the nursery this morning. I want to thank the church for that. We could always use more volunteers, uh, always. So with that, why don't the, yes, announcements. There we go. Good. Oh, great. So to say it on the speaker system and online, Teen Challenge is opening up a thrift center here in Oregon City at where the Goodwill used to be. And if you have anything to donate, it'll be a going concern here, hopefully by May 1st. That's really exciting. That'll be a great source of income for them. That's wonderful because they do provide a lot of financial uh, needs that are met through that very program and others. Any other general announcements? Okay, well, then kids are free to head down the hallway. Gabe is here. Thank you, Gabe, for doing such a great lesson with Emma. We got to baptize Emma, who's right there. She turned 18, and uh, that's very exciting. Had a great time. Worship and praise and hot dogs. Eat them once, enjoy them twice, I always say. That, that's a hot dog, man. Good job. And Rachel, you're doing well, I hear. Yeah, Isabella. Nice. Growing family. So cool to watch. That's fun. I'd like to invite us to turn in our Bibles to Romans. Um, just before I start, though, I just want to thank those that came to Deb Dale's memorial service yesterday. It was well attended. Uh, wonderful woman. Really will be missed. I could just see uh, Tim just kind of going, <sighs> when it was done. Um, so keep Tim and the girls in your prayers and family uh, in your prayers. A big transition in their lives, obviously, and uh, she'll be missed. But the tremendous thing was that she was a very strong believer in Jesus Christ, a solid rock. And that came through, and we're so grateful for her. And uh, it's a wonderful treasure that both of her daughters Follow on in that faithful, plodding footstep that one day at a time with Jesus sees them through, and they've got that. So we're grateful for that. 
So praise the Lord. And also, it was like I did two resurrection sermons, messages yesterday. One was at the death, the memorial service, and then also, did you realize that when we baptize people, what's happening? We're representing Christ in a symbolic way. I brought out a, that horse trough thing. I went and got one, put it in my pickup truck, drove it out there. We don't have to immerse anybody. Baptism means all in, whether you're sprinkled, poured, or immersed. But it was re really neat symbolism because when you lay somebody down, you're burying them. And then they can't lift themselves up because they're laid on their back with their feet all akimbo, right? So they need my help to get them up, and I just am a stand-in for the resurrection power of God. So it's a neat symbolic picture of the resurrection. So in one sense, one life had gone on to be with Jesus, and the new one, only 18 years old, is looking down the road. And uh, that's the faith, the presence of Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit, and the ongoing work here that God is doing. I was very touched by, I guess, both ends of the spectrum on that. And I can see God's blessings and mercy and grace in both cases. It was wonderful. So thank you for all your prayers. Um, I also want to thank those of you that knew I had vertigo this week. I want to give God praise. I had a couple of, this is my fourth time I've had it. It's not a new thing. I had it only for two days, though, and that's really unusual. And I attribute that to prayer because the minute the word got out that I was kind of spinning at night and not sleeping really well and feeling wiped out the next day, um, your prayers were lifting me up. And I tell you, on that third day, isn't that interesting, third day? <laughs> on that third day, uh, all the dizziness stopped, and I went to bed that night. I even did my little head tilt exercises. The first day it didn't work. Second day it didn't work. Third day I had no dizziness when I did it, and I didn't know why. Except I had to say, God, you did it. So I just want to stop and say thank you, God, for getting me out of that bad Ferris wheel ride or whatever it was that I didn't care for. Um, the title of the message here, going back to Romans now, in chapter 3, verse 27 through chapter 4, verse 8, is titled this, Can the Wicked Be Made Right? And it's because Paul talks about the wicked and the righteousness of God, and he brings this point up, and it's probably one of the more startling points. Another startling point is you might be wondering, well, who are those wicked people anyway? And it turns out it's us. It's all of us. We're all sinners, right? So let's look at what Paul does here by, first of all, let's begin with a word of prayer, then I'm going to do a little brief reflection on where we've been in previous uh, sections of Romans, and then we'll bring it up to date, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come to you with confidence and peace in our hearts, giving you praise and glory for all the good things you do. It's always good. We thank you that through Christ Jesus, you make us right with you. That is a tremendous gift that we celebrate and appreciate so very much. Thank you for so many answered prayers. We think for a moment here, Lord God, of our friends and our family members that don't have that simple faith in Jesus Christ yet. And we pray your Holy Spirit not only fall upon us right now, but that your Holy Spirit will fall upon all of our loved ones, friends, and family who we can think about right now, that they too will realize that righteousness with you is a gift. I pray that they'll open that gift today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, we looked at a very famous verse, widely known verse, often referred to. It was in 3.23 and 24, and it says this, For all have sinned. All means Jew and Gentile. doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, your age, your gender. doesn't matter. All have sinned and fall 
short of the glory of God. God is perfectly good, and none of us are perfectly good, so we do fall short. Now, that would be bad news if there was a period at the end of that, but there's a comma, probably one of the best ones in the Bible, right? And are justified freely. I want, you can underline that word, circle that word, highlight that word. It's a, a very important word. Justified freely by His grace. That's how we're done. That's how it's done. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Did you notice that in that reference, there's no work on our part? It's all God and Jesus Christ. It, it's all about the Lord doing this for us. And so Paul then goes on to elaborate a little bit more because the Jews in the Christian church, the Jewish Christian community, was struggling still with their relationship with the non-Jewish Christian community all together in one church, that there was a bit of a superiority or a first-class, second-class thing going on here. And Paul is then working through all of that very faithfully and very specifically now for many chapters. And so we come to the point that we're at today, that Jesus justifies us. And that easy way to remember that is just as if I never sinned. It's a declaration of innocence that God gives us through Christ. So the second point then in your outline, well, the first point is context. The second one is beware of self-centered boasting. Boasting is an important feature here because the Jewish community thought that because they were chosen people, they had something to talk about, put them one, one leg up on the rest of the world. They also had been given the law and the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, thinking that that had sort of given them an immunity that they could be right with God because they read it and they studied it and they memorized it and they were very into it. And they felt that that alone, plus being chosen, would put them on a higher plane that they wouldn't be judged by God, that they were free from any condemnation, that they had not really fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul brings them down to earth and says, no, you're sinners like everybody else and you too need to be humble and rely on Jesus Christ. Simple, easy to understand. So then he says this, and I'm going to be breaking it out a little bit. I, we will look at all the verses, but I'm doing it in a little bit of a different way so it, the highlights of it come out more clearly. First, we're going to read 3, 27 to 30, and chapter 4, 1 to 3, because those sections belong together. Paul writes this, Where, then, is boasting? It's excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith or the Jewish community by faith and the uncircumcised or Gentile community through the same faith. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. There's a lot in that. What, what underlies this 
And I didn't know this prior to this week, so I'm always finding out something new. Study is a good thing. <laughs> Reading about what others have come up with is wonderful. And, and uh, leaders are learners, right? So we all want to learn. Here's what I learned. In the first century, there was a Jewish perception that Abraham was actually a righteous, perfect person who had, by observing the law, even previous to Moses, that he was right with God because he was such a good, law-abiding person. His ethics were tremendous. So he was kind of the pinnacle of this righteous person, and God sees Abraham and says, wow, what good work you've done. You're amazing. I give you righteousness, he declares it. But that's not what was actually the case in Scripture. And the reason that that's a, a known entity in the first century is a, from a couple of sources. I've got them here for you. Jubilees 2310 was written uh, one or two centuries before Jesus. And it says this, Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Abraham never blew it, is what that says. The prayer of Manasseh 8 says this, Abraham did not sin against you. There was this portrayal of someone who was like Superman, who just could do no wrong, had an innocent, pure heart, and could fulfill the law of God. And I think that that was the impetus for their trusting in their works and thinking that they were superior for, to people who didn't have the law of God. And Paul knocks it all down and says, you know what, there's no reason we can boast about this because Abraham himself, if he earned it, could have boasted. But he couldn't earn it, therefore he couldn't boast before God. He might impress people, but he couldn't impress God. He's still a sinner. He still needs salvation, just like everybody else does. So Paul's pointed out so far that everybody alike is sinners. We all rely on Jesus. And the reason he refers to Abraham is to remove the misperception that we could be good enough on our own efforts, as they had come to believe Abraham had been. Now, if you've read Genesis, you know Abraham was not this pinnacle of righteousness. You know, he, he learned lessons rather slowly, and his sons probably learned from dad, and things were really went from bad to worse in a few cases. He's not the perfect person, and that's one of the reasons I think that the Bible has such validity. It doesn't hide embarrassments. If you really want to look great in the eyes of the world, you don't want to put in mistakes and embarrassing remarks and accidents and bad behavior and total sinful activities, but it's all there because it's honest. And so Paul is saying, let's look at Abraham's life honestly. He's not this righteous, perfect person that you, by tradition, have made him out to be. You've made him bigger than life. What he does is, he says, he quotes from Genesis 15, 6. He says, let's go back and have a look. And in 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What does that mean? Well, what it's telling us is that God didn't owe Abraham righteousness from anything Abraham had done. He wasn't obligated. It wasn't like Abraham achieved enough merit that when he went to the bank, he could take out a loan. He could take out a grant, whatever you want to call it, that he could be declared righteous by God. God didn't owe him anything. What he did was God gave Abraham what was alien to Abraham, righteousness. On his own, he could never be. But God graciously 
gave Abraham what he did not have, his righteousness. And that was one of Paul's main points. So therefore, Abraham, did he achieve anything? No, he didn't achieve anything. He simply believed. But belief itself is not a work. It's an instrument that God uses, that the Holy Spirit moves and gives us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the heart that transforms, that we can believe God. It's, have you ever been a little bit stumped? I'm thinking about this now, yesterday and the week before. We've had two memorials now on two different weekends. You can share the gospel good news, and to me it's so real and so wonderful and so loving and so rich, but it bounces off so many. And all I can say is that without the Holy Spirit's work, belief is not an achievement. Otherwise, I'd work my tail off to get people to achieve it, wouldn't you? But you can't. Nobody ever has. 2,000 years of trying, and we shouldn't be thinking it's on us to save somebody by giving them belief. We can remove obstacles. We can do that. It's called apologetics. But we aren't able to give someone faith or belief or trust. That is the Holy Spirit's work. And so when Abraham believed God, we know from a wider biblical context that didn't come from him. And the Hebrew itself, if you look at all the grammar, says that didn't come from him. It was given by God to Abraham. So when people said, well, Abraham, we're children of Abraham. He was the righteous person. He did it all right. We can be like Abraham. We're good. And Paul says, well, Abraham wasn't as good as you think he was. And you should know better. Let's look at the text. Let's see what the Bible says, not traditions. And he uncovers the truth. And if you're reading it with an honest heart and honest mind, you say to yourself, Abraham needed saving too. It was by God's grace that he was saved. And that's, again, a constant throughout all of Scripture. So could Abraham boast? Do you want to sit next to Abraham at the banquet in heaven? Hi, who are you? Abraham, well, I'm done. You have a lot more to say than I do, apparently. But that's not the case. Nobody can boast. Nobody can brag. There won't be any one-upmanship. No first-class Christians and second-class Christians. There's only one, and that is the one body in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul keeps pushing and emphasizing. We're all one in Christ Jesus. It's hard, I think, not to think too highly of ourselves. Would you agree with that? I sometimes think too highly of myself. Do you sometimes feel a little bit more superior than the average person? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Because the average person being superior to all the other average people, the statistics just don't work, right? And isn't the comparison not with each other but with God, right? I, I've said it before, my worst moments are probably driving. I am the better driver than the average. I just know that. And then I run over a curb or something and I just kind of duck because I'm like, you know, nobody saw that, right? This is the way it is. And we tend to go there. It's a, it's a risky business. It's part of our self-centeredness that we can misuse and, and misapply and cause sin to put ourselves in God's place, if we could. And so let's look at some of this. John Calvin coined a phrase, total depravity. It doesn't mean we're totally depraved to the nth degree. We're just absolute worms and the blackest, darkest evil you ever saw on the planet. What he means is everything we do, as good as it is and as wonderful as it is and as right as it can be and as loving as it can be, 
ultimately has just a little bit of self-centeredness to it, that I want to be thanked, that I want to be appreciated, that I want to be noticed, that I want to be rewarded. I want God to notice. I want to get God to say, hey, that was a great job. You know, Bruce, you're just... There's always just this little tinge of me in everything we do, and that's our sin nature, to call attention to self. That's what he meant by total depravity. So we're aware that we're weak. In fact, doesn't the Lord's Prayer say so? Lead me not into temptation. That's an admission that, yeah, I've got my weak spots, Lord, I know it. But deliver me from the evil one, because there's a tempter there that wants to exploit our weaknesses and cause us to fall. That's all part of our daily life with Jesus, isn't it? 1 John 2.16 is a good word about attention to self and things and doings. You know, we're human beings, not human doings. And it's clearly said in 1 John 2, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what? The boasting of what he has and does bragging about what we have and bragging about what we do. I think men are particularly in a difficult spot. What do men typically say when we're with each other, eventually, other than, hi, how are you? I'm fine, the classic answer. What do you do? That's typical, right? What do you do? Jenny usually ducks and covers for me um, because the minute I mention I'm a minister, the conversation can kind of die. (laughs) If they're non-believers. I'm trying to develop a relationship first and not cut it off at the pass. So I try and find a way to bring up other topics and other subjects. But in some cases, you know, it's you got to go there eventually, right? You do. And Christ is the reason, always. And we don't want to obscure that. But we also want to realize that people focus on what we do and what we have. How many of you go buy beautiful properties with beautiful landscaping and beautiful homes and beautiful views and you can admire it for what it is it's beautiful why not or a great car it's a wonderful car or for me i like planes so amazing plane really cool nice the plane it's nice i can admire that but when i start to covet it and i want it then it takes a whole different attitude because i want to boast about what i have and what i do one of the things that uh, somebody said to me once, uh, you've really grown a lot in ministry over the years. You should be in a bigger church by now. And all I can say, uh, and, and that's an honest thought, it's, a, it's, it's with integrity and it's with honesty and it's with love. But my reply to that is, God hasn't done that. My righteousness is from God. My calling is from God. All that I have is God's. All that I do is God's work through me. So really, it's all about God. It's, it's a hard thing to keep track of because we do try to call attention to ourselves sometimes, right? So it's a good reminder to go back and say, God, thank you so much. I do, we do this regulate our house. Thank you for our home. Thank you for the provisions for mom who lives with us. Thank you, God, for transportation. Thank you for Jenny when Maddox is crying because she does a better job with Maddox than I do. He loves me, I know, but he really loves his Nana, boy, I'll tell you. Um, She babysits him regularly. 
there's all these wonderful things that we are thankful for, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't pull back from that. And we should admire things that are beautiful and wonderful and, and gorgeous and creations of God and things that people have done that are admirable. But ultimately, we want to thank God. We want to thank God for everything from stem to stern. And uh, it's true for all of us that we can be aware of that. So what happens if we do get into boasting? Well, first of all, it ruins our worship, doesn't it? Doesn't boasting ruin our worship? If we think even unconsciously that we have a role in our salvation, where's the humility? Where's the gratitude? Where's the thanksgiving to God? We elevate ourselves and diminish God. Um, yesterday when we baptized Emma, Emma said to me, I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm doing it for the right reasons. It's my 18th birthday, but it's not about me. I'm doing it for Jesus, my faith in Jesus. It was all rightly done and rightly said. And she was able to state before several of the youth group that were there and her family, an extended family, that she believed in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And it was wonderful because it brought attention and worship to Jesus. That's what we want to do, all that we do. There's a little story about Stacy King, who was a Chicago Bulls basketball player, when Michael Jordan was at the peak of his career. And one night, Jordan scored 69 points, and Stacy King scored one. And afterwards, he kind of joked around, and he said, I'll always remember that this is the night that Michael Jordan and I combined for a score of 70. Now, that's a good humor, isn't it? The poor guy got one, one point, it's kinda, and he gets paid big bucks. Well, it's humorous, but spiritually speaking, we can kind of be like that. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I've got something to offer. Jesus Christ declared, through Christ, God declared me righteous, but I'm a pretty good guy. You know, that's the Stacy comment coming out that, God scored 69 points, but together we got 70. Uh, that is not grace, but that's a temptation. It's a, it's a thing that we can kind of fall into on a natural scale of things. We want to also step back from that and say, thank you, God. You scored all the points. I'm in the game. Thanks to you, Lord. We're grateful. Then secondly, the accomplishments we brag about can be inconsistent and imperfect. Um, I like our, our house after uh, mom moved in. We had it remodeled, and we had uh, someone in our church do the architecture, and somebody else in our church did the building, oversaw the whole thing, and, it, and we're really happy with how it turned out. But during the construction process, you know what I was told by Terry Banta? One really good earthquake, and all your cement will turn to rubble. And I thought to myself, rats, I hope I don't live long enough to see that. But it can happen right? It cracks. It breaks. Give it a good shake. We got some real problems. Well, it's the same thing in our lives. We can do good things, but then again, stuff happens. We're not perfect. Things get in the way. We make mistakes. The world around us changes, and so it's good to not get too hung up on all of our achievements in that sense, because it won't last. Nothing lasts but Jesus and our faith in him. Uh, Deb's memorial, we chose the house that was built upon the rock instead of the sand. That was right up her alley. She's very home-centered, very Christ-centered. Her foundation was Jesus, and even though she went through breast cancer and pancreatic cancer, 
Tim said they got away on one vacation one time in six years in that last stretch. That was hard. But her faith in Jesus sustained her. When others told her to quit, and that's a judgment call, isn't it? Everybody decides how they want to handle those closing days. She said for herself, my Jesus is bigger than this. That's a, and that's a great statement. Jesus is always bigger than our difficulties. Take heart, I've overcome the world, he said. This is, this is our Jesus, and we're grateful for that. Then there's subtle, almost invisible boasting, things we may not even know we're doing. When we're loving our neighbor or we're loving God, we imagine that somehow we have a claim on God. You know, that God will bless us, that things will get better, that we'll have a better standing with God, that he'll leave us alone maybe even if you're feeling like you're struggling like Job or something. But that's not true either. That's not something that we want to land on. God is gracious, doesn't owe us a thing, but loves us dearly. Then also it can divide the body of Christ. You know when there's a one-upmanship? I'm better than you are. Or I remember the one church in Colson's book that had bumper stickers on their car. Can you imagine our session, our elders, buying a bunch of bumper stickers? And it said, we worship better at First Evangelical Presbyterian Church. A church did that. Yeah. Can you imagine? That's a lot of pride on a lot of bumpers. And I'm sure all the Christian community in the surrounding cities were so proud of them for being so um, unique. <laughs> um, we don't want to go down that road. We want to be united with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And again, it's always good not to talk about what your church is doing more than what God is doing. What is God doing in your life? What is God doing in your congregation? What is God doing in your missional work? What is God doing in your church? These are the things that we want to focus on that we, if we're going to brag and boast, let's boast about God. That's so key. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity, whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we're good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think that may be sure that we are being acted on, not by God, but by the devil. I think he's right. Then we also encourage non-Christians to act like we do, focusing on the world and all the stuff we have and all the stuff we do and not the Lord. We have to be careful with that, that we represent that God is the source of all this goodness, and we give God thanks. We enjoy it, we appreciate it, we admire, but ultimately, thank you, God. When we were in Russia, we saw some amazing paintings. They have an amazing art gallery there in Moscow, and we were wandering through there, and some of the canvases are just massive, like a quarter of a wall. It was amazing and gorgeous and beautiful, and I could admire the artistry and, and the amazing techniques and the depth and the colors and all. Oh, it's just incredible. I still remember it. It's probably the best one I've ever seen. Incredible. But ultimately, who gave them the talent to do it? Right? It's going to go back to God. Then, though, we don't want to live opposite lives of pride. Okay, the pastor said, let's not be prideful, so let's go the antonym. Let's pick the opposite. You want to know what the opposite of pride is? It's not pretty. It doesn't honor God. Here it is. If you look it up in the dictionary, let's go home and be depressed, gloomy, melancholic, miserable, pained, sad, sorrowful, troubled, unhappy, woebegotten, disgraced, and timid. Let's go team, right? That's horrible. Does that honor God? No. So we don't want to have self-centered pride, but we don't want to have the 
opposite of pride, that's not good either, then what is good and how can we express pride correctly? Because there is a way to do it. Well, there's a couple of examples. One is Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.31, and this church had a lot of bragging going on, a lot of I'm better than you and all kinds of things were going on. If you want to read about a troubled church, study 1 Corinthians. There's more there than you'd want to deal with. But in 131, it says this, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And there's another example from 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. Paul says, I worked harder than all of them. Now, you might think that's boasting. But he pulls it in and redirects it, not toward himself. But look at what he did. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. God gave me the ability and the drive to do this. Thank you, God. That's a wonderful gift. And that's what we can do. Um, sometimes people thank me after a message, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, I want to know how it was, and so some people will tell me it was good, or I, you know, this or that or the other thing, and I appreciate that. But I also want to... And, and what do you say when somebody says thank you? You just say thank you back. Don't try and suck out more. <laughs> tell me more. I'm really enjoying this. Give me another accolade. How about another word of affirmation? Christ alone. You want to say thank you, keep it simple, and then just say thank God. When people call me on the phone, they say, is your pantry open on Tuesdays from 1 to 4? Yes, it is. We're still open from 1 to 4 every Tuesday. Just You can come anytime during that time frame. And then before the conversation is over, I'll say, God bless you. It's not just about the food. It's about God who gives us the food, right? So a little bit of redirection is always good. That's why we're here. Then thirdly, God justifies the wicked. This is such an outstanding statement that really has caused some divisions in the history of the church over time. Some taught that you needed to get right with God in order for God to even look at you as a non-wicked person to declare you righteousness, but then that gets back to works. And so Paul is very clear here that God actually declares the wicked righteous. Let's look at what he does. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, there it is, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never, underline that word, circle that word, never count against him. What, what good words. Now, I've had a lot of different occupations. How about you? Started off as a paper boy, you know, that kind of thing. Worked at a gas station, did a lot of different jobs. You've done a lot of different kinds of works, too, I'm sure, if we'd had a chance to sit down together. I know many of you personally have done different works in your life growing up through your young adult years, mid-life changes. All those things are there, even different positions in the different places. But the one thing that they all have in common, when I put in so many hours of work, I knew what I was supposed to be paid and if I wasn't paid on the number of hours that I worked, I could go to the office and say, hey, what's up with that? 
and they were obligated to pay me for the hours that I worked at the rate that we all agreed to, right? That's how it works. Well, in Paul's day, it wasn't any different. You worked, your employer was obligated to pay you. And he says, if we were to work to attain righteousness with God, to be right with God, if we worked for it, then God is obligated to pay us. But he says, but that's not how it works. In fact, he says, if you don't work, God can declare the righteous or will declare the wicked to be righteous, not by works. It, and it was a real mind-bender. In the uh, memorial service yesterday, I pointed out that Deb enjoyed plot twists in TV shows. She liked Perry Mason. Suddenly you find out that that's the person who did it. Surprise! Or Twilight Zone. Just weird, right? Or British crime dramas. She liked British crime dramas. There was just this twisted moment in the, the plot line where you go, whoa, I never saw that coming. And when Paul writes these words, there's this, whoa, we never saw that coming. God declares the wicked righteous? No way. Shocking. Isn't that why the song Amazing Grace starts with the word amazing? It is. What a surprise. In our workplace, if I don't show up for work, what happens? Well, I'll stay home. This is not a theology of laziness, by the way. To the man who does not work, but trusts. Honey, I'm not going to go to work today. The pastor says all I've got to do is trust God. Well, I'm telling you what, there won't be a paycheck in your, your bank account. You'll be unemployed before you know it. That's not what Paul is saying. We all know that. He's simply saying you cannot achieve a right standing with God, and you cannot obligate God. You cannot do enough that you can stand before God and say, pay up. You owe me. I've been good. Paul says that's not possible. All right. Think for a minute how amazing it is that God justifies the wicked. It, I always think of somebody else, don't you? I know some wicked people. Do you know some wicked people? But how about yourself? Are we not all sinners falling short of the glory of God? Didn't Paul say so? Isn't that the truth? I thought, wow, what does that mean to me personally that God freely, graciously gives me a right standing with him and never removes it through Christ? That's a gift, and I'm so glad. How about relationally? Does that mean then that I can come to God and confess all my sins before him if I am moved and I am okay, I feel safe, I know I'm loved? Absolutely, because I didn't earn it in the first place and I can't lose it in the second place because it's all a gift from God. If you got a Christmas present, did someone take it back after you opened it? It's something wrong with that, right? Same thing if God says, here, a free gift. I declare you righteous. I've chosen, called, and elected you. And then a few days later, when you haven't done perfectly well, what does God say? Well, that's it. We've tried. We've tested it. You failed. I'm taking you out of here. I'm pulling it all back. That never happens. Show me one place in the Bible where God pulls it back and takes it from you. What we get is a gift to you and to me. That will never go away. That gives me a lot of confidence 
and missionally as well. So then here's the real sticky point now. This is where Paul went with it. He, he knew that if people thought, okay, if God justifies the wicked, then why would I be good? And if I don't need to worry about being good, then what good is the law of God? Ten Commandments, for example. If it doesn't matter, if God just says, there you go, where's the motivation? What's the purpose for having the law of God? Can we just ignore it? In fact, they thought, in many people's cases, they thought that Paul threw out the entire law. You're just saved by a fiat of God. You're righteous. Good to go. Don't need any law at all. That was wrong. Paul corrects all that in first, the 31st verse with the law being a mirror, a curb, and a guide. And that comes from Luther, a catechism in the Lutheran church. Uh, I think it's got some merit to it, so I'm putting it out there. Mirror, curb, and guide. Verse 31, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Is the law now irrelevant? He says, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. The Bible says that the law really has three main purposes in our lives, and I'll just list them briefly. First of all, it, it reveals to us that we are all sinners who do, in fact, fall short of the glory of God. There are only two laws, right? Two significant ethical laws. Love God, love neighbor. The Ten Commandments are commentaries on those two. The first four, love God. The next six, love your neighbor, and those are just examples. Can we do all those all the time, 100%? We fall short. That's what the law does. And that's called the mirror, that we see ourselves correctly as God sees us. The law is good. Romans 3, 19-20, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin oh my word i fall short i still remember um a nanoscientist famous widely known great speaker uh, was jewish but grew up a uh, secular jew didn't really understand all the jewish faith he just figured you go to synagogue once a year the rabbi did something and you're good to go for another year that's that's what he said on one of his interviews but then in college, he ran across a Christian college student who shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus with him. And he said, uh, you know, we all fall short of the glory of God. And, and the guy goes like, well, I'm not a sinner. Had no, no idea that he was a sinner. He didn't know what the law was. He didn't understand what God's standards were. And so being a guy in college, the Christian man asked him, well, have you ever lusted after a woman? Well, that kind of got him because, yes, he had. Now he realized he's on the outs with God. Oh my goodness. And it dwelled and sort of stewed inside of him. And he came to realize that based on the law of God, he'd fallen short. And he'd never really appreciated that before. In other words, the law had a good purpose here that made him think about his relationship with God. And eventually he came to faith in Jesus Christ. A great testament. But it all started with that internal struggle of, hmm, maybe I'm not all right with God. And that's a great function that the law has. Then the law is also a, a paradox point because when you realize you've fallen short, what happens then? You want to go to faith and grace, God's grace. 
through faith alone, not by works. If works can't get you there, what's left? Absolute reliance on the Lord. And that's what the law does. Galatians 3 says this, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So that by what? By faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Then secondly, the law also restrains evil. It tells us what's bad, right? So we can make civil laws based on God's laws. We can think twice about falling into temptations because we know what the Lord's will is. It's called the curb. It's like we're in the lane with Jesus and we want to stay in the right lane and the curbs on either side keep us in the proper place. When we were in Scotland, you sit on the wrong side of the car, driving on the wrong side of the road, with a stick shift in the wrong hand. It is bizarre. And I tried to parallel park along a curb one time in a rental car, and I'm glad it was a rental car, because I could hear the hubcaps go on the, on the edge, right? I had, I had run up on the curb. You don't want to do that. The law is there to keep you from wrecking what's good. There was all kinds of scratch marks on the hubcaps when I got done, and I kind of waited for the bill to arrive, but I think they just figured I'm an American. They know what's going to happen way ahead of time. I'm just glad the car came back in one piece. In fact, this is a real digression, I'm sorry, but the funniest thing I ever saw, a bunch of teenagers driving down in, through a Scottish village in a car the wrong way and laughing their heads off. They had to be Americans. <laughs> Dangerous, but they thought they were funnier than all get out. The curb, though, that the law gives us keeps us in the lane, keeps us safe from falling into sin and joining with the world around us that doesn't, uh, doesn't appreciate the curbs, that wants to remove the curbs and have a do-your-own-thing, drive-in-your-own-lane, go-anywhere-you-want-however-you-want life. But that's not good. We want to have safety. We want to have order. And God gives us these curbs. How about this? Let's not murder our neighbor anymore. That's a good curb, right? But you know, Jesus took it even deeper. He said, let's not hate our neighbor anymore. That's a good curb. There's all those wonderful things that are there for us. Then thirdly, it directs us for good works. It tells us what's positive and what we can do. It's not just shall not, shall not, shall not, shall not. It's, those are easier to remember if it's shall nots. That's why they're in the shall not form. It's easier to memorize what we shouldn't do. But it also tells us what we should be doing. And that's always good. It's a guide. So how do I love God? The law tells me. gives me many examples. How do I love my neighbor in a way that's beneficial to them? The law tells me. It's good. This is what I can work on. And final note, I just want to close with this. Um, it's, been a, it's been a wackadoo week with two days of bad carnival rides. And then you don't know, but have you ever had a bad carnival ride and you felt washed out for hours afterwards? Well, this whole thing lasts about a day, maybe two. And then um, youth groups going great on Wednesday nights. I really appreciate the team that's involved there. It's been wonderful. I'm trying to give Gabe all the freedom he wants to be a dad now and adjust. He's on paternity leave working down the hallway. But that's him. He loves those kids. It's been a crazy week. Memorial last Saturday, Memorial the Saturday before that. Can you just stop dying? 
Let's, let's make a pledge. Come, Jesus, now, and we can skip all that stuff, right? I want to just close with one last piece. Take this home. Memorize this one. Nail it down deep in your soul. Paul never, ever combines the category of law and grace in the same place. You're saved by an act of God alone. That is its own category. And that's when Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That's God's work, not our work. And God declares the wicked to be righteous. Why? Through Jesus. That is a column that is pure, and we cannot taint it. Or we're like the basketball player that says, I scored a point. That's a Jesus plus plan, and it doesn't work in that column. The other column then that Paul keeps very separate from faith and faith alone in Jesus is what we do. And why do we do what we do? Because we love God. We're not trying to obligate God. We're not trying to get in better with God. We're not trying to look better than our fellow Christians. We're not trying to be somebody important. We just love God. And that is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that says, let the love flow. And that's what we're doing. So don't ever get those two categories mixed up. I find that's probably one of the biggest mistakes people make is blending what we do with what God does. And Paul never, ever makes that mistake. And we'll see that over and over again. I was reading a commentary about the, the part that we just looked at, and the commentary said, some people may wonder why Paul talks about grace so much. And the commentator said, because it's so important. So there will be more to come. Thank you for um, uh, being here this morning and listening to the, to the word of the Lord. It means everything to the Lord. And it's such a good word for all of us. I've had a, a, a tiring week. And, uh, and Maddox didn't get up till 9 o'clock almost. <laughs> and it was a little crazy this morning. But I want to say this. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit's work. I, you always have to go back to the one that makes it go, right? So let's do the good work that God created in Christ Jesus for us to do, right? We're all workmanship created in Christ Jesus, right? Do good works. But let's never, ever forget to give God the praise. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much as frail human beings, filled and gifted and equipped to do great things. Lord, we are skilled in various ways. Some are skilled with their hands, and some are skilled with their tongues, and some are skilled with their hearts and empathy. Lord, some are skilled in business. Some are skilled with mechanics. Some are skilled with medical abilities. Lord, we're all different, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. And you made us one in Christ Jesus. You made us to give you glory. We are your unique workmanship created in Jesus to do those good things. And God, we thank you that we can do those good things. We thank you for the good works that we see in each other and that we can contribute in our lives. The beauty, the artistry, the help, the love, the care, the worship, the music, everything. Children, grandchildren. They're wonders of your creation. And I thank you, God, that you're the author 
of all good things, every perfect gift comes from above. Even to be born again is to be born from above. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for how you've done your mighty work in our lives, that you have credited to us righteousness. It's all from you. Thank you so much. Thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you that you're molding and shaping and transforming us. Thank you, God, that you give us encouragements through memorial services. Thank you, God, that you give us hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you bring healing from diseases now, later, or at the resurrection. You are the author of life. And we know that Deb is home safe with you. Everything is right. Thank you, God. I know she's cheering us on this morning in heaven and can't wait to have us experience what she's experiencing right now. Wow, what a treasure. Thank you, Lord, for her and for the family and for all of our loved ones. Thank you for all that you do throughout the churches around the world for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter. Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned from the ones he came to save, till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. There is.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. And all of God's wonderful people can say, Amen. You are declared righteous, not by me, but by our loving Father now and forever. God bless you. Have a wonderful forever, starting right now. God bless you. Come on down the hall. Have some goodies, cookies, punch coffee. 